0: It was a dark night in the city that never sleeps. Things came up, things went down, life went on. At least for some of us. I was walking down 54th, headed for home and a glass of recovery, when I heard the siren's song. And I don't mean that of the men in blue. I ducked into the old speakeasy halfway down the block, and that's when I saw... Her...
1: the one who said forever from the start and I've been drifting
0: since you've gone Out of the Dark, The Film Noir Project, the new album from Melissa Errico, available on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music, iTunes, and wherever you find great music. Welcome back to Afoot, the mystery podcast from The Incomparable. I'm your host, David J. Lohr, and joining me today is an author, a playwright, an editor, a game designer, and, well, any kind of writer you'd like him to be. Uh, He's written several novels, including West Side and, perhaps of most interest to Incomparable listeners, critical hit, A Gaming Mystery. Please welcome W.M. Akers. Hello,
1: thank you for having me here.
0: Can, can, can you tell us a little bit about uh, about
1: your own novels? So I have been writing fiction uh, off and on my entire life and writing it seriously for the last six or seven years. Um, my debut novel came out in 2019 that was called West Side, um, and it's about a detective living in an alternate reality version of New York City in 1921 um, where the entire West Side of Manhattan has been walled off and is overgrown and bizarre and full of strange magic that she must contend with. And she responds to that by Trying to shut out all of the massive mysteries around her and focus strictly on tiny mysteries, which are her passion. You know, what? what is that weird smell? Why is my dog sad? What happened to my keys? That kind of thing. And of course, those tiny mysteries inevitably lead her into very, very large, often sort of cosmic ones. Um, so the first book was West Side. The sequel, West Side Saints, came out in the uh, cursed year of 2020. Hmm. And uh, the latest, West Side Lights, uh, which takes place on the West Side waterfront, has this sort of gaudy Coney Island, Devil in the White City vibe. Um, comes Ooh. out on March 8th uh,
0: this year. I'm extremely excited about it. Ooh, I'm looking forward to that one because I've enjoyed the, the previous two. Um, can Can you tell us a little bit about Critical Hit? So Critical Hit um, is just an absolute passion of mine.
1: Um, It is a uh, mystery novel set in and amongst a game store uh, in a fictional town in East Tennessee. Um, I used to spend a lot of time hanging out in game stores playing role-playing games with people, playing board games with people, just generally kind of like soaking up the sweaty, dice-rolling atmosphere. And I really love the way that that is like a safe space for people of all ages and all sorts, and I wanted to uh, bring that to life in a mystery novel. So it's about a young woman who's brother slash gm um dies in a mysterious fire and trying to find out what happened to him draws her into this um extremely strange and extremely dangerous fantasy world
0: oh fascinating uh yeah i can i can see incomparable listeners really going for that one um i like to think it's a a total blast yeah no it sounds like it I, i still haven't read it so i need to do that um but of course you're also a game designer um of course, we have an RPG series, or 10 series in one series, or however. There's so many series in Total Party Kill. Um, can you tell us about some of your games?
1: Well, it's Total Party Kill is actually one of the uh, working titles for Critical Hit. Ah. Um, so we are sort of uh, on the same <laughs> wavelength there. Um, but yeah, I've been designing games for several years, too, and uh, they are... This is ranged from Deadball Baseball with Dice, which is this uh, baseball simulator that I created that has all sorts of crazy fictional characters, but you can also use it to play with real teams, sort of just like whatever your imagination dreams up. Um, I also have a role-playing game called Comrades, a revolutionary RPG that's all about hmm. a group of leftist revolutionaries in a fictional setting, a real-life setting, a sci-fi setting, whatever you like, trying to destroy a corrupt government. Um, And that's actually been translated into Italian and Spanish, and there's currently a Polish team working on a Polish version, and possibly French people too, so that's sort of found its own life around the world. Um, And I really love doing the game design and trying to alternate that with the writing, because with the game design, I handle every aspect of it. I do the design, the layout, the writing, the editing, the proofreading, all of that, and it's so fun having complete control over something um, in a way that when you're working on theater or working on fiction, you don't. And it's wonderful being able to sort of veer back and forth between those two things because sometimes it's lovely to have total control. Sometimes it's nice to be able to hand it off to somebody else and say, all right, you run with it now, I'm done. Um, (laughs) Make the the book yourself, bud. Um, Mm -hmm. And it is, uh, I've been really, really lucky to be able to sort of just like step back and forth between those two worlds. And the game design is also, it's great because it scratches a completely different itch in my brain. It's analytical, it's precise, it's all numbers, and I've had to teach myself all kinds of, math and probability and things that are probably really easy for people who have a mathematically inclined brain, <laughs> but I really don't. Uh, so it's, it's been fun to why stretch myself in that direction. Yes, exactly. No, I'm, I'm very much a writer and not a math person, and if you could see the oh. tortured spreadsheets that I've had to put together <laughs> in order to make these games function, you would probably be horrified.
0: Yeah, the, I'm, I'm proud to say the only time I've ever used spreadsheets is to write out jokes for riffing tracks not for riff tracks but <laughs> riffing tracks uh, so okay so so you have you have a, a certain amount of bona fides for mystery writing and plotting and uh and and the reason we're here is to talk about an episode of columbo that you picked uh can can you tell us why you chose murder under glass
1: so i've been wanting to I mean, I talk to everybody about Columbo all the time, whether or not I'm on a podcast. So <laughs> it's a very natural sort of transition to me. I've said before that I think that Peter Falk on Columbo is the best sustained dramatic performance in TV history. Um, that's a big claim, but I, I stand by it at least based on everything I've seen. I, okay. There are super long running soap stars whose work I am not familiar with who could be um, outdoing him in their own in their own realm. But as far as you know, my sort of limited sphere of knowledge, I think that. Everything he does in every scene and every episode is so unique and so specific and strange. And he's just always doing something different um, that it it is, it is an incredible joy to just watch him work. Um, and it is amazing the way that he's able to just completely carry this show. And obviously the show is almost always brilliantly written and there's a lot of other great acting and the stories are lovely and the sets are often sort of horrifying in a mesmerizing <laughs> way um but the degree to which Peter Falk just like holds this whole thing together I think is unparalleled and it is such a pleasure to watch what? and I chose Murder Under Glass which I watched for the first time actually pretty recently um because it is from I think it's from the last season of the original run yes and I think it is interesting to see there are episodes in that last in that last season or the season prior where the portrayal of Columbo, I think, has shifted a little bit. And he is letting himself be more obviously in charge of the moment. Mm. And mm. I thought that um, this episode is a really great example of it because it's a classic setup where it is... So this is uh, Columbo in the world of fine dining. And there are other episodes where it's like, this is the one where Columbo's around football. This is the one where Colombo is dealing with fashion people. And generally right. when he goes into these um setups, he's he walks in and he is like playing the buffoon and he's like, "Well, I don't know how any of this works." Or he says, you know, like, "I, you know, I am interested in fashion. Look at my strange suit or, you know, whatever." <laughs> he 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 sort of like plays up his ignorance of it. And I think he's that very he was self, self-
0: Well, he's very self-deprecating. He's like, exactly, "I yeah. I don't know this. You're the expert."
1: Yeah, it's like, you're a very important man, um, and I'm, I'm sure you're very busy and, and all of that. Um, but in this one, I, it, it takes a really interesting turn immediately where Colombo comes in and he says, well, I do a little bit of cooking myself. And you think he's going to say, like, well, I make chili or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it turns out that Colombo is, is, you know, what in present-day terms we would call a foodie. And he knows... A ton about food and he's out there identifying uh eggs and aspic and he's like cooking and he's giving the chefs orders and he's he's like looking at something he's like is that gallatine of duck are those truffles <laughs> um and it's like oh whoa no colombo like knows his stuff in and around the kitchen and i think it's really interesting It it, it completely changes the tone of the episode because suddenly he's like on a level with all of these chefs in a way that the show never lets him be. Right. And I just, I thought it was like a fascinating sort of turn and not something that you would have seen in earlier, in earlier seasons.
0: It, it's a, it's a very odd episode, partly because of that, that that dynamic is, I, I can't think of another Columbo episode in, whether it's the NBC version or the revival. Uh, I can't think of another one where he is on that kind of footing where he can say, yeah, I know about food. i I get this um and not not only does he know about it he eventually uh, winds up cooking a meal for the food critic uh killer
1: yeah and And, doing so fearlessly
0: yeah and he is not intimidated at all and and on top of that you know one of the characters only speaks italian and we discover that colombo is fluent in italian because that's
1: that, that's one of the other moments where yeah there's this moment so um should we should we give a little synopsis yeah about, we should we should probably start about? from the beginning so murder under glass um uh, starts as with all columbos with the murder um and in this case it is a food critic um played by louis jordan who you know we know and love from Gigi and other things <laughs> um murdering a chef named vittorio who's played by michael Vigazzo. Um, and it's an interesting one because he poisons him, and we see him preparing the poison from the fugu fish, the Japanese blowfish, Um, but we don't know until much later in the episode how he actually administers the poison to the chef. We simply see them dining together, they argue, Louis Jourdan leaves, and then uh, the chef dies. Um, And then the rest of the episode is, as with all Columbo episodes, Columbo shows up and slowly picks apart what (laughs) Jourdan thought was going to be the perfect murder
0: and and it's it's interesting that you bring this up in in terms of your own work that that it is these small little details that those are the things that undo it for him those are the things that colombo is picking up on you know he's not he's not necessarily figuring out how the poison got administered in the beginning but he's going why didn't you ask for a doctor why didn't you know you had the same meal why didn't you have your stomach pumped you came right here well the police told me to come yeah, but that is. I, I think the, the line is something like that is the damnedest example of social responsibility I've ever seen, or something like that. <laughs> um, and it's it's such a lovely moment. Um, and yeah, it's like this one. I was I I was kind of surprised to find it won an Edgar Award the year it was uh, uh, eligible uh, because it's in terms of the plot, it's maybe not the tightest, greatest Columbo this is one that you watch for all the character work Mm -hmm. Um, because it, you know, as I I was watching it, I mean, I I watched it like a couple of decades ago. And so I was, I was coming back to it this week and he doesn't really do a lot of investigating. Like he shows up for dinner. uh, Well, not, he doesn't know that it's dinner, but he just shows up to pester Louis Jourdan and discovers him in a dinner with a colleague who's visiting from tokyo and and uh the colleague is like oh lieutenant you need to try this and uh no oh, this is fine this is uh fugu and they're having a laugh at your expense because it's poison and the whole time louis jordan is like don't don't say anything don't what, what are you doing <laughs> what are you doing and like you know Colombo doesn't uncover anything it's just like oh what do you know poison really huh you know it's like it's it's filled with little moments like that which are very funny you know they work mm-hmm. but yeah it's not it's not the tightest uh example of him investigating but it's just so much fun i don't care
1: <laughs> and it could i mean and that could be part of why i liked it so much because i one of the things i love about columbo that you get because of the length of the episodes is and, you know, it, there it is more in some episodes than other, but you get a lot of just, like, character moments with Columbo just interacting with people. Right. Um, right. And in this one, it's many, many scenes of him interacting with chefs, and in most of them, they're feeding him. I made a list of everything <laughs> Columbo eats in the Oh, episode. my goodness. <laughs> um, and it, it, is, it is quite a spread. But so it's just a lot of just... It, because Columbo is on his equal footing with everyone here, it's a lot of scenes of just sort of Peter Falk being twinkly with people and just having a nice time with people and being in a good
0: mood with people. And it's incredibly watchable. And, and it's, it's so much fun watching him. I mean, I, I think I could get, I could get behind your uh, assertion about, about the, the, one of the best sustained portrayals Uh, because he did it for what? 30 years off and on Mm -hmm. something like that 25 years. And it's all it's fresh every time. It's always fun. Yeah,
1: and it, yeah, it feels like it shouldn't work as well as it does, right? Um, or that it should feel stale. But I think partly just because everything around him in every episode is new, um, and partly just because the, he and the character are just so much fun.
0: Yeah, it's it is very unusual in that there are no, uh, you know, standard sets. There's no sidekick. There's no. It's it's literally all Peter Falk and all his tics and all his i mean yeah we always hear about mrs colombo and there there is kind of a tease that we might meet her in this one but oh, oh she didn't come to the the dinner oh well well it's because she it, it was her her exam
1: and her like bookkeeping final yes
0: <laughs> she's <laughs> yeah, like yeah, she's she, taking an accounting course at night school she, so she missed the banquet she decided she couldn't miss her test ah uh, you know <laughs> <laughs> and and so you know it's like when whenever wow. they say oh you know well, let's reboot Columbo who would you cast and you know and people say Mark wow. Ruffalo and Natasha Leone and wow. you know and they'd be fine they'd be good it still wouldn't wow. be Columbo there it's it's just so inextricably linked with Falk and and I I so I once
1: I I burned a good portion of a year once trying to write a mystery play um. And there was a period where I was sort of approaching, like, what if I had this character sort of playing dumb, like Columbo, and acting like Columbo? Mm. And man, it didn't work. <laughs> it didn't even come close to working. Um, I just ended up with a character who wasted a lot of time and seemed like a dope. And I, I could not crack whatever the the magic spell is that makes this show work. And I can't imagine that it would be easy to do, um, even if you were literally trying to do Columbo. I, I think right. it would. Um, I'm not right. going to say unrebootable. <laughs> but boy, if anything well, is.
0: I mean, you it's kind of interesting watching from Prescription Murder forward, because in that one, he wasn't meant to be the main character, for one thing. Mm-hmm. And he's a little more serious. It's still recognizably Columbo, but he's a little more grounded. He's a little more, yeah, this is what a cop would do. And he's tenacious, mm-hmm. but... He's not he's not spinning stories about his father cooking for them when they were children and uh, life in Italy and all these things um, it's it's a very straightforward um, inspector Javert kind of you know I'm gonna mm-hmm. get you for what you did and I know you did it right and so it started very well grounded and the second movie is very much like that it's it's when they finally turned it into a series that that they were like now we need to embrace the character we need to do more than just determined cop and so yeah you you kind of have a shortcut for you know we don't we know Columbo by the by that point right we don't have to play him up as dumb whereas when you're starting with something totally fresh i mean yeah how do you do that how do you make that work you have to show the character being smart sometime so that we go, Oh, that's an act. Um, I remember trying, I I tried to write a Columbo spec script way, way back, uh, when they were still producing them when, you know, when Peter Falk was still alive and, uh, uh, it was, it was an interesting challenge and I don't, I don't know that I mastered it either. It's, it's really tough to play that well. I mean, it's also,
1: like, if you think about, you know, if you were trying to come up with a cop show, and it's like, all right, well, we're going to have this guy, and he's the main character, but we never see his house. He doesn't have any friends. He doesn't have any hobbies. Like, we don't know anything about him when he steps off of the screen, really, um, except for things he says that may or may not be lies. Right. Um, And it's just... I w- you know your writing teacher would tell you don't do that I guess <laughs> um because it's just it it seems impossible that it works and yet it works like so brilliantly
0: oh yeah and and I mean I I seem to recall reading a thing where where Levinson and Link were talking about the fact that they didn't they didn't create this as a series this was not supposed to be a thing and and that they would never have gone about it like that Uh, For just those reasons, it's like, yeah, you need a cast, you need a a, a family, you know,
1: and credit their um, their courage in taking to the series and not saying, okay, well, that means that step one, we're gonna have to start in his house, and we'll meet his family. And then after that, we'll go and we'll see him in the office, like we'll see him talking to his boss, you know, his is his immediate superior. Like, we never see... I mean, I sometimes wonder if Columbo works for the LAPD at all. (laughs) Because we never... Like, I think there's one episode where you see him in an office, like, or, like, talking to other cops, like, at a police station. Right. And otherwise, it's just, like, he's just a guy who just shows up. And the other (laughs) police are like, well, you know, he gets results, so we we just let him hang around. And we think his first name is actually Lieutenant, so that... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that 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 sort of tracks and we you know he has a badge that he made and we're not going to take it away from him because he's very helpful
0: <laughs> and i i love i love little details of how you you know you expect this is oh he's looking at this because he's a cop and one of my favorites is in uh i think it's called um damn it uh no it's not called damn it it's um the the leonard nimoy is a heart surgeon oh i love that episode and you know there's part of the case involves a tire iron and as one of the officers like his introduction into the episode is as one of the officers is is carrying the tire iron to be tagged and colombo says hang on and he looks at it and he looks at it and he reaches into his pocket takes out a hard-boiled egg taps it against the tire iron and starts peeling it. He's like okay you can go <laughs> and that's insane that's wonderful um oh oh i just i can't get enough of Columbo. Um, it's wonderful now now this episode was written by robert van skoik who had worked with levinson and link before on their ellery queen series and then ran i I think he ran but he certainly wrote tons of episodes of murder she wrote as well Hmm. and uh, it was directed by a very young jonathan demme I love that. Yeah, I
1: love when, when it ends and you see his name pop up on the screen. You're like, oh, I've heard of you, sir.
0: <laughs> I still I still remember the shock. When, you know, cause every now and then you'll see a recognizable actor in the background who went mm-hmm. on to something else. Like Jamie Lee Curtis is a waitress in an episode. Mm-hmm. and uh, But I, I always love, because they did the credits at the end, um, at least in the NBC run, it's so much fun to see every now and then there's like, Wait, this was directed by Steven Spielberg. Wow! <laughs> yeah, that Steven Spielberg, or, or maybe some other one. <laughs> I, I I think it was Murder by the Book. I remember mm-hmm. uh, it's written by Steven Bochco and directed by Steven Spielberg when they were both. And They were never really heard young. from again. <laughs> and and it's really good. You see, that? It's a very good one. Um, but yeah, it's this this one. It's, it's shaggier, but it's, it's, there, there are some that I would skip. This one mm-hmm. is, yeah, I, I, it's just enjoyable. Yeah, and it hangs together. I, we watched the one either, either right before or right after
1: this one is, uh, make me a perfect murder, yes. which is the one that's about like TV executives. And that one I thought was terrible yes. and hums <laughs> along nicely for like the first half hour and then just completely collapses in on itself. And I think you could, pairing those two together, I would say watch the bad one first, um, <laughs> would be a useful uh, exercise just to see, like, what makes one very shaggy Columbo function and another one just completely collapse. Right.
0: And, you know, the uh, casting Louis Jordan is brilliant because there are episodes where Columbo faces, there's one where he's, like, facing off against George Wendt. And there's just no contrast. And <laughs> certainly in the 70s episodes, they, they really got this. They're like, you need to put him against Jack Cassidy or Robert Culp or, or Louis Jordan, someone mm-hmm. who can play slick and elegant and rich and condescending. And uh, I, I, I'm not sure if there's anyone in the, in the original run that is more contemptuous than Louis Jordan. And and in such a watchable way too, yeah. because with
1: you know with the Robert Culp ones, it's like I want to dump a glass of cold water on you, man. Just be <laughs> quiet. Um, but Jourdain is he's he's playing just such a snake, but he's smiling and he's likable. And there's the scene at the beginning where he's like posing with a box of Ritz crackers for an ad, <laughs> um, and he's just like slinky and fun. Um, and and so he is he's he's just a pleasure to watch in every scene, even when he's doing sort of dopey stuff. And he's got one of those um, mouths that goes like all the way across his face. Right. Um, right. So he, it, it made me think of uh, like a Muppet, like Guy Smiley, <laughs> 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 with his head flopping back and forth. Um, yeah, they're 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 a wonderful pair, and Jordan is very very good throughout. Um, and really, by the end of it, when Columbo is telling him you know, you're, you're a good, like, you know, your food, but I, I really, really don't like you as a person. Um, I was sort of like, Oh, I kind of like the guy. He's seems like (laughs) a real
0: jerk, but I don't know. (laughs) And it is fun when, when Columbo lets those little things go, he doesn't often tell the person what he thinks. Mm -hmm. Right. This, I, this may be one of the few times where he says, I don't like you. Yeah. Right. Uh, occasionally he has sympathy. Right, mm-hmm. he's very sympathetic for Donald Pleasants and and for Johnny Cash. He I love the
1: Johnny Cash episode, and yeah, they they're, they really bond.
0: You know, he is so sad. He's like, I'm sorry, I have to do this, but you know, I I love that. Yes, he can be. He cannot like the killer. Um, mm. Well, and
1: part of the reason he doesn't like him, and I, I would say this is a good reason to dislike someone, is that Louis Jourdain has just tried to poison him. Yes, um, which is another—that's another rarity where somebody tries to kill Columbo. Yeah, um, I think that I think that happens a couple other times, but um, I can't remember specifically. But yeah, it ends with Louis Jourdain has tried to poison him, and Columbo switches the glasses—the
0: the old switcheroo. <laughs> he's um, like I, I wouldn't drink that if I were you, <laughs> and and Jourdain is like why not what, what do you mean he's like <laughs> because you poisoned that one and i switched the glasses he's like oh, oh.
1: and he says you know we'll, we'll just keep this for the boys in the crime lab and as always i'm thinking like the district attorney is going to be tearing their hair out but it's like so what's the chain of evidence here who put poison in it do you have a recording of this my god colombo
0: again oh yeah that's the other thing i don't know that you could do colombo in the present day just because I mean ever since CSI and and Law and mm-hmm. Order and Homicide and everything we know too much about how this works.
1: Yeah, I think yeah, I think if you were going to reboot Columbo I'd want to see Columbo's grandfather um as a cop in Italy or maybe you know like 19th century New York. Um that could be fun. Sure. Sure. Uh, but but you know in the present day it's just like it, it, it there's too much specificity in modern um detective fiction and there's no room for somebody as loose and low-key as columbo
0: yeah i mean technically he's a cop it's a cop show but it's it's a cozy mystery it's Mm -hmm. it's it just doesn't work in real life so would you like to hear everything he eats in this episode Yes, yes. Since since you okay. went to the trouble of making a list,
1: I just I was mesmerized because <laughs> I, I watched it and then I watched it again um, a few days ago, and I was just like, he eats so much different food. It's, <laughs> it's almost literally every scene um, he's being given food. And another thing that I love about this episode is that Vittorio, the murdered chef. He's popular. Um, He's not the sort of classic murder-she-wrote villain who spends the first 15 minutes being a jerk to everybody in the story so that everybody has a motive to kill him. Like Everybody loves Vittorio, and all these chefs are really sad that he's dead. And there's a a beat at the funeral, I think, where one of the chefs announces to Columbo, Columbo, as long as you're working on this case, you will not go hungry in Los (laughs) Angeles um, because all these chefs keep giving him food. So from the beginning, we get to watch Columbo eat cioppino, Stuffed mushrooms and a bechamel, caviar with smoked salmon and foie gras, to which he says, oh, thank you very much, this is a sensational layout, (laughs) poached scallops, dim sum with a fortune cookie, the aforementioned fugu sashimi, a coffee cake at a bank that everybody talks about how good it is, and it is the worst-looking coffee cake I've ever seen. (laughs) It looks like it's made of styrofoam. Yes. Then there's a whole scene at a banquet where I couldn't even get down everything he eats, but I think I saw Cornish game hen, there was this whole fish, there was a roast, there was, like, glass after glass of wine, there was a big fruit cocktail. Oh, there's um, just a whole
0: parade of
1: It was of incredible, food. with the, and the, sh- the the waiters coming out and sort of presenting it to everyone to say, look, here's another weird thing, <laughs> um, let's all eat. And then it ends with him making scallopini with Louis Jourdan, and Jourdan makes this really nice-looking little tomato salad that they share. Um, and it's like, yeah, I, I ended the episode hungry.
0: <laughs> it's kind of hard not to.
1: And I also, I'm, I'm currently uh, doing research for a thing set in 1970s food world. Um, ah, so it was okay. particularly engaging, you know, on that level. And I, I love seeing the sort of the things that were delicacies in the 1970s that you don't see anymore, like eggs and aspic or, um, uh, gosh, what's it called? The, 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 the. I mean, just even, like, like, the poached fish, and just, like, there are lots of sort of just strange creations.
0: Oh, sure. There's... there's the chartreuse.
1: A, that's what it is. The chartreuse, the, the vegetable chartreuse right, that right, Louis right. Jordan has offered, which is, like, it looks like the mountain from Close Encounters. <laughs> uh, but it's made out of, like, asparagus, and God knows oh.
0: what else. Yeah, no, I... Um, there's, there's a Twitter feed uh, called something like 70s Dinner Party. Or yes, something like I that. love them. That is just beautiful and terrifying. And I remember... Entirely too many of those things. Um, I was a child, but you know, even even if we didn't make them, they were in the recipe cards and the recipe books, mm-hmm. and you just kind of looked at them. And it, Ugh. you wonder,
1: you know, like there was a problem with the technology of food photography in the 1970s. So you you, you do wonder how much of it is just being like done to service. Because I think you could make a very nice meal and take a picture of it the way that they would take a food picture in 1975, and it would look horrifying. Right. You know? Right. Um, So I I, I try to be generous (laughs) as best I can when I'm seeing those things, because it's like, I bet some of that stuff tasted okay.
0: Probably. (laughs) I mean, it had to if they kept making it. But, you know,
1: you also got to figure that, especially for, like, the cocktail party food, the dinner party food, it's like, this was food for people who have had four martinis and a pack (laughs) of cigarettes. So their palate is maybe a little bit blown
0: out. That's true. (laughs) And you know uh, to be fair colombo is continuously smoking a cigar.
1: I know. Yes. Yeah, you wonder about his his palate as well. But those beautiful green cigars. Here's a question I always like to ask
0: people about colombo. What color is colombo's suit? Wow. I mean, I would say brown off the top of my head. But
1: it's sort of brown. It's, it's like brown. Of, it's got a little soap. Yeah, a little pink in there. Yeah. It's an incredible color. It it reminds me of when you see those cars that have been painted so that they change, like, as they turn the corner. Right. Because I stare at it sometimes when I'm watching these episodes, and it's like, all right, his coat is light brown. Easy. But then his suit is just, like, it's kind of purple. It's kind of beige. It really is, like, I don't know how you could create that except by taking a cheap suit and washing it a thousand times.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, supposedly the raincoat was Fox's raincoat.
1: I mean, it fits like a dream.
0: You know, he just brought it in. He's like, I think this would look pretty good. <laughs> I'm like, all right, we don't have to buy a ring. Um Yeah, it's just, And
1: and the, the the wearing the ring coat in Los Angeles is its own <laughs> tiny joke. that's beautiful.
0: Like he should be in Seattle. That's that's good for Seattle.
1: Why are mm-hmm. you doing yep, that this would work just
0: fine. Um Yeah, it's Colombo you always need that contrast. He needs to stand out. Um mm-hmm he needs to be dealing with rich people that he just he doesn't look like them he doesn't dress like them he doesn't talk like them um and they they think yeah we're gonna get off because this guy's an idiot he's a dope and and that's why it is it is such a perfect la show because
1: he's not a a creature of los angeles really um or at least not not in the way that people imagine it because i listened to the episode where you guys watched the um original Columbo uh, oh, T V yeah. production yeah. um which was set in a in New York. And Columbo makes too much sense in New York, you know? <laughs> like you know people like that in New York. You see that guy. Like that's every cop in New York. It's not interesting. But in LA he's who's this weirdo in like the world's most beat up car with the world's
0: weirdest dog. Yeah. And we don't we don't really get a lot of details about his life across the series. But in this one we you know, he knows dim Sum, and, and the, the restaurateur is kind of surprised and goes i grew up a couple of blocks from chinatown mm-hmm. you know i probably had more dim sum than i had italian food uh which is yeah it's, it's lovely little detail a wonderful you know it tells a whole story in like three sentences you're like yeah well, and at the end when no he says
1: that uh his pop used to cook for them uh when his mother was having a baby which was pretty much every year for a while <laughs> there uh yeah that's more biography than we've had from him in the entire series yeah yeah. yeah, so there's something very sweet about this episode, even though it, it is the, you know, the mystery um, is loose. There's, uh yeah, there's just a sweetness to it, and, and every scene, almost everybody's happy to see Columbo show up, which you don't usually get. Usually people right. are, right. at best, irritated by him. <laughs> um, but it, it is fun to see just sort of that different take where it's like, oh, everybody in this world loves Columbo as much as I do, except for that murderer.
0: Right, right.
1: Who... I, another thing I love so we, we first meet Jourdain. he's on TV and he's like demonstrating how to prepare fugu fish and I love the nerve of a guy to go out <laughs> and murder someone with a very specific poison that he has just demonstrated on TV
0: right it's incredible right and, and like we, buy rat poison at the store the, the part of the brilliant part of that is that you know a hack writer would have it be a Japanese meal Mm-hmm. Or some just some way where he doesn't have to go to all, all that trouble to get the poison out of fugu. He can just prepare it poorly, or you know whatever. Mm-hmm. And this because it's an Italian meal, d- d- who who would expect it to be fugu, right? And that and and the poison is unidentified for for much of the episode until the colleague from Japan is like, oh Columbo, they're having a laugh at you because that's poison. <laughs> it's like oh. Oh, but yeah, the 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 cojones on him to uh, highlight it on his TV show, then serve it to his colleague within days. Um, you know, it's, it's, that's a whole lot of fugu. Yeah, yeah, um. perhaps a bit too bold. <laughs> he flew too close to the sun. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, as as we were watching it, my younger son was watching with me, and. i I didn't give him any warning right i just said yeah let's watch a Columbo." i gotta do it for a podcast and and you know you watch food network all the time you'll enjoy this it's it's food and and it starts up and you know louis jordan is like oh this is fugu with a poisonous fish and he he immediately goes that's Chekhov's blowfish (laughs) yes (laughs) yes my work is done Oh, you've trained him very well. How, how
1: does he like Columbo? What is was? I'm so interested in how a teenager would would approach
0: something this old fashioned. Well, he's he's fascinated by it. He's just gotten into murder mysteries, which is a lot of fun. We just watched the Kenneth Branagh murder on the Orient Express, Wonderful. which we weren't expecting to enjoy as much as we did. I do have issues with it. Uh, but I've I've reconciled myself to the ferret across his face that, that he calls a mustache. <laughs> um, he's not David Suchet, but he has fun with it, and it's enjoyable. It's uh, There are a couple of line readings where I'm just like, oh, yes, that, yes, keep doing that. <laughs> um, so we we finally watched that. We've had it since it came out, but I'm like, ah, I don't know, I don't know, ferret, uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but he, he really enjoyed it, and he loved Knives Out which oh you know that's i that has it was a delight it's easily one of my favorite films now uh because it is it's it's on a very similar mechanism as columbo um except we don't know that she didn't do it for a Mm -hmm. while and so you you get um, all the things that he wraps up and does in that plot is amazing um so so he was fascinated he he's known about columbo but this was the first time we watched one together and he really enjoyed peter falk he he does love uh, a noticeably quirky character and performance and he 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 wasn't sure why we were watching it because of the plot he's like it's not that great i said it's that's this one's not about the plot this, just, just stop <laughs> um, oh, yeah i'm sorry that that had to be his uh, <laughs> his
1: first introduction because yeah i think this is one for the columb for it. if you already love colombo you're gonna love murder under glass right or if you're really into 1970s cooking <laughs> you're, you're gonna love murder under glass so he was but, yeah maybe maybe one of the the robert ones <laughs> might be a little stronger intrigue <laughs>
0: he was he was fascinated by the the character stuff and and he did love the running joke of the the chefs continually feeding him um and and he was able to pick out you know like like i said Chekhov's blowfish and little details he go that's is that going to be a detail and he's figured out that in a murder mystery every detail is going to be important somehow Mm -hmm. and so then he was trying to figure out is this a red herring is this distraction you know what is this and of course we don't know how the poison gets into the wine bottle, uh, for much of the episode. That's, that's something we don't quite get to the very end. And so he's heard me talk about Columbo before. And, and, and that's why he was like, I will, I, I'd like to try another one because that's great. you always talk about the plotting, you know, and how, how well they're orchestrated. And I said, yeah, some are better than others. Um, my my favorite ones are there. There are two types that I love the most. My favorite ones are the ones where yes, we we see the murderer, we see the murder happen, and we come back from from the break for act two, and there's something we don't know, and that's something we don't find out until the very end of the episode. Mm-hmm. This kind of does that. Uh, I like. I love the one. It was the first one on the revival with Anthony Andrews, where. Uh, he kills Anthony Zerby, and we come back from the commercial, and oh, it was in a locked room. Hang on, wait, what? Locked room? What? And you don't find out how he locked it from the inside until like the last five minutes of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one that I, I love is the the ones that break the format a little bit, and you can't do that a lot, but you know, and we've we've talked about this on the main show uh jason and i love things where you set up a format specifically so you can screw around with it later mm-hmm. um and so you know the one where uh, they they have robert vaughn and you think oh well he's clearly the killer because he's robert vaughn he's that character type and and he seems to be going through the motions of setting up a murder until he gets murdered mm-hmm. and then it's a who done it, and you're like colombo isn't a who done it <laughs> or the um
1: the one with martin landau where it yes. takes you you know uh, there, there's there's a fair amount of it before you realize like oh wait these are twins <laughs> um and then you re- as, as i recall you really don't know which one did it until the end when i think it turns out they both did it I'm yeah not sure. yeah um it's so and, good yeah and so yeah that, that's one that is both I, I think it falls into both those categories where it both messes with the format and also they are holding something important back
0: so, yeah, the, the way they could ring changes on that, on what is, you know, such a simple one guy, no supporting characters, mm-hmm. and how's he going to get them? That's it, right? Yeah. And to, to, to get so many good variations on that. Oh, I just... It's beautiful. It, it's beautiful. And, and I would say, uh, those of you out there, if you haven't seen Knives Out, good Lord, go see Knives oh, Out.
1: Just wonderful. really just like a total treat. I want to, I've been meaning to watch that a second time.
0: Yeah. Well, if, if you can watch it and then watch it with the commentaries, uh, he did two commentaries for it. One that's just himself, which he recorded and you could download and take it into the theater. It was before it even came out on disc. And now, now there's a, the disc has a second commentary with the director of cinematography and one of the actors. It's really fascinating to hear how he built it how he constructed the plot because it wasn't just like hey i've got a great idea poof all done uh it was Mm -hmm. like how do i make this watchable how do i make this into what would be a good movie and how do i get the sense of rooting for the detective even though you think that she's the killer and you're rooting for her too Mm -hmm. and You know you have that Columbo tension without it being a Columbo plot it's it's just so and and he and he says point blank yes I Columbo was a huge influence on this Mm -hmm. um but yeah I can't wait to see what what the sequel is going to be like
1: I mean, it's it's when I watched when when I when I finished watching that, I was like, I really wish that there that this were a TV show and there were 100 episodes of this. Oh yeah, <laughs> because um, I I understand why there aren't because you know they they make it look so easy, but of course, an incredibly difficult movie to make. But gosh, I really <laughs> wish there were just like many many episodes of this that I could
0: devour. And you know, I I watched Murder She Wrote off and on, but I can't watch a lot of it because it's yeah if you love Angela Lansbury, it's great, but after a while, it's just like, oh well you you can pick out the murderer from the guest cast as mm-hmm. they're they're popping up at the beginning of the episode, and it's just not great um i I love that the Ellery Queen series only had one season because that would probably have gotten old as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that season is just delightful. It's basically murder she wrote with different people set in the my,
1: what I what keeps me interested in Murder She Wrote is my pet theory that uh, J.B. Fletcher is the murderer in every episode oh absolutely um, and that she's just a globe-trotting woman slash murderer slash mystery <laughs> author um, who just like likes to go to different places murder someone and then frame an innocent
0: person <laughs> she's like Dexter but charming <laughs> not uh-huh. that charming she's often very prickly <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I, I would love a whole series of Benoit Blanc mysteries. I I want novels. I want a Benoit mm-hmm. Blanc novel series. Yeah, you want those to be real. You want to have the shelf yeah. full of them. Yeah, and the one, map back. One of my favorite things. This is such a dopey thing, you know. Of all the things that are good in that movie, um, I didn't. I went into it pretty cool cold i -hmm. I didn't want to know anything i was like i want it i trust ryan johnson at this point i want to see this and the first thing when you find out that christopher Plummer's character is named harlan thromby i laughed out (laughs) loud in the theater and people around me were like why is that funny but in third grade i went to the scholastic book fair and picked up a choose your own adventure book named Who Killed Harlow Thromby? Wow, that's a deep cut. And I was like, holy cats, you know what that is. Ryan Johnson, yes! You know, (laughs) um, that is such a random thing to have popped into my head after, you know, decades at that point. And so that's, between that and the font for the marketing, I was like, okay, we are in good hands. (laughs) He, He knows what he's doing here. Because yeah, I I don't know how many Agatha Christie novels I had as a kid with that typeface Mm -hmm. on the cover. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, and and you could
1: see that paperback in your hand. Yeah, with the with the map on the back, um,
0: and and everything. And you know, maybe published by Signet with a little card Mm -hmm. in the middle for you know, right in to get some other series of books. I
1: know. Yeah, and it 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 is cruel that there is there aren't like (laughs) twenty five or thirty of those that I could be picking up at the the used bookstore,
0: right. How do how do we get him to let us do that? We should be writing right? Benoit Blanc novels. I know, yeah. Why?
1: Why aren't there? <laughs> th- there should be like a team of underpaid freelancers writing under like the same pseudonym. Yep.
0: Yep. And you just on the copyright page, you have special thanks to blank for their contribution mm-hmm. to this work.
1: Yeah. Oh boy, I'd sign right up for that. Right.
0: Oh, I had I had friends who used to write some of the Mac Bolan the Executioner novels, and that was. That was the thing. It was always special thanks to
1: blank. I um I wrote copy for so I uh, about ten years ago. One of my main jobs was writing descriptive copy for uh, e-books, mm. um, so like jacket copy for Mysterious Press and a bunch of other companies oh, wow. um, that were reissuing old mystery series mostly. And so I wrote copy for all of the. Mac Bolan, the Executioner books that are on Amazon. Wow. um, As well as like many other series. Um, It was was a ton of fun. It was a really wonderful way to sort of learn um, the ins and outs of like 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s um, paperback mystery fiction. Um, But the Mac Bolan ones were, that was a very strange couple of weeks because I had to read (laughs) quite a lot of those extremely violent books um, and then try to drum up the copy for i think like 35 of them something like that in ways that made it sound varied and interesting when when in reality <laughs> the premise of each one was like mac
0: bolan's gonna kill a bunch more guys
1: <laughs> um, but you have to pad it a little bit
0: yeah yeah i mean oh this is the one where he kills a bunch of guys in siberia oh this is the <laughs> exactly. one where he kills a bunch in guatemala okay i love that job though that
1: was that was some of the most fun <laughs> i've ever had working
0: i just i remember having a, a writing course this was back in high school and the the teacher for it was talking, you know, he's all about poetry and rhythm and, you know, uh, the language and the Welsh sense of rhythm and rhyme and, you know, internal rhyming and you know, all this stuff. And one of us asked, you know, if we wanted to read some of your stuff, where could we go? He goes, well, I make a fair amount of money writing Mac Bolan novels. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? And, I mean, I will say I read two of them for Macbola novels. They were very, very well written. (laughs) But there's only so much beautiful language you can get through with, I'm just going to kill a lot of guys in Siberia. (laughs) I blew up a nuclear plant. Done. Yeah, Um, I think
1: if you want to read the Macbola novels, go read a Parker novel instead. (laughs) Yes.
0: Those are beautiful. Oh, we have to get back to a Parker novel soon. Oh boy! I'll come on to talk about that. Um, or, or the Parker graphic novels by Darwin Cook, which oh, I haven't read those. I'm literally staring at them across my desk. Um, they're really good. Oh, I wish he'd been able to do more. Uh, but yeah, there. I think there are four of them, and they they might be the single best adaptation of not just Parker, but but of Westlake at all. Wow! Anywhere. They're just that good um yeah i watched i watched some of the Westlake movie adaptations i'm like no no you didn't get it yeah mostly even, they don't they don't quite land even the hot rock the hot rock is good but mm-hmm. mm, uh, no nice try william goldman
1: i do like that movie i watched it for the first time last year
0: it's a lot yeah, of fun for what it is yeah
1: but you're right no it doesn't it it feels labored in a way that the the dortmunder novels are not
0: yeah yeah and it's it's odd because you know robert redford and george siegel should be able to pull that off in their sleep mm-hmm. and ah, it's just it's not quite it's not quite um but still well worth watching oh I've, yeah i've you seen, know, I've seen did, it a did, few did times movie. yeah um but we've gone a long way outside colombo now oh it's uh, all in, the same, but that's in okay. the same cosmic universe it's a mystery podcast it's what we do the real mystery is what are they talking about <laughs> so but yes you have to come back we'll talk more things we'll talk about westlake we'll we'll just talk all the mysteries uh this has been a delight thank you for coming thank you so much for having me thank you for letting me talk about this one weird colombo episode (laughs) that i've just been obsessed with and uh if you want to find more of more of your stuff where can the, the listeners go and find you
1: you can find me at WM Acres. That's A K E R S dot net, um, and also for my sins, I'm on Twitter at <laughs> Wejum. That's O U I J U M. And you know, come come talk to me on there about baseball or mystery novels or God knows anything else.
0: <laughs> and Mac Boland, so much. And macro. Mac Boland, especially, yes, yeah.